so that we could have access to God because of the blood of Jesus that washed us clean. Hallelujah. Someday when we stand before God, we can stand there clothed in robes of righteousness that was purchased by you, O Lord. 
Hallelujah. We thank you for this great salvation. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for redeeming our lives from destruction. Hallelujah. We worship you. We worship you, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Defender, our Provider, our All in All. Hallelujah. 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 We lift up your name, O oh Lord. Glory unto the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You saved us. You redeemed us. You filled us with life. You filled us with joy. You filled us with hope. Hallelujah. So much better this way. So much better this way, this life in Christ. So much better this way, this life of faith. So much better this way, this life of the love of God. So much better this way, this life of freedom from fear. So much better this way. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Father, for sending him. And thank you for Jesus for being willing to do it for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you think of the most hateful, you know, nowadays you see so much hate toward God, like I've never seen before. I know you all can say that, of people who just mock God now. You know, you see it in the media, how people mock God and think about it. That's what Jesus saw when he gave his life, those people. He saw them. He gave, he gave his life, and he loved, he loved those people that hated him. Because we were dead in sin, too, and that's how God viewed us exactly the same way. That's how much he loves people, and that's how much we should love people, too, as well. Amen? And no matter, no, no matter uh, how hateful, how vile, or whatever, we see them through the eyes of God. And we love them and we reach out to them amen because that's what jesus did to us hallelujah before you're seated i'd like you to just turn around and maybe introduce yourself to a few people maybe somebody that you don't know find out their name after you've done that you can be seated we're going to dismiss the children look around real good because i see some people really are looking for somebody uh we're going to dismiss the children to their class at this time Amen. And those of you who are worshiping with us today on both YouTube and Facebook, we're so glad that you're with us in spirit, and we know that you're going to be ministered to and blessed. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, this past week, we had Vacation Bible School at, here at the church, and so we had lively children, and it's such a fun week. You know, I love children, and um, I love them. Well, they are cute, but more than that, they are so unpretentious, aren't they? They're just who they are, and sometimes adults get all stuffy, and they have so many issues, and they're all protected and hiding and all this. Kids, they just let it hang out. 
They don't care what anybody thinks about them. They just are who they are, and they're unpretentious, and I think that's why I really like hanging out with kids so much. And so we had a great week. We had a number of children who were from the community, and um, we gave the opportunity for kids to be born again. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say how many kids raised their hand because if you will remember or you've ever worked with children, you know that they will raise their hands numerous times to ask Jesus into their heart because they don't remember when they did it before. And really, it's okay. They reach new levels of um, understanding. And so, in, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, uh, my grandchildren, they were spending the night with us. And when they do, I have to sleep in the middle of Pastor and Mike's bed, and Pastor Mike and I's bed. And they, one of them sleeps on either side of me. And we have one of those beds that have the crack, you know, where one side goes up and the other side goes up. Guess where Nama sleeps? Right in the crack of the bed. But I want to say this about it. So we, I always pray with them, you know. And so I then often, after we pray together, I will just pray quietly. I said, now I want to just pray for you in other tongues. And I explained to them what that was. And so I'll just, you know, for a short period of time, maybe a minute, maybe two minutes, just pray quietly in other tongues. And my granddaughter said, Nama, I want to do that. I want to pray like that. And I said, okay, well, we can pray that way. And then, and then my grandson said, yeah, me too. And I said, well, we have to make sure, you know, you first you have to make sure that Jesus is in, in your heart. Well, I've known that they've prayed that way, and, and I've prayed with them that way. And, um, but I, I just wanted to go over that first. And my grandson said, well, let's just do it again just to make sure. And so I think that's what children do. They just do it again to make sure. So we did that. And then, you know, like when you deal with people, you go through a, a longer explanation because people have so much in their head. You have to show them from the Bible. And it's good that people see scriptural teaching on this subject because we need it, you know. And so, uh, but I told him a few things and then just prayed with them and my, both my grandchildren just spoke in tongues at night and loved it. My granddaughter didn't want to stop. She's five years old. She didn't want to stop. She said, I think every time we're with you, Nama, we should pray like this. I said, I think we should too. And so she's really into it, you know. And um, so anyway, it's precious. And um, so we as I was saying, we had numerous children raise their hands at VBS, including children from the community. We had a good number of children from the community. And so thank you for praying for us. We are so thankful about that. Now that Vacation Bible School is over, we have in a couple of weeks kids camp coming up here at the church. And it's going to be August 9th and 10th. Um, and uh, so there is uh, information as well as a registration form um, at the Kids Check-In Center, as well as on our website at foothillfamily.com. It's for ages 7 through 8th grade. And so, yeah, we actually do accommodate all those kids. And we, that was the first time we did that last year. It worked out really great. Those older kids, we kind of tell them that they're helping us. Uh, but they're actually learning a lot. And, um, so, and then they can go to two camps. They can go to Pastor Chip's camp as well as kids' camp. With that said, our uh, youth camp is coming up as well. I think they, you leave next Saturday for youth camp, and your, your kids, your grandkids, friends of theirs can register for that um, 
through, I think the uh, deadline is this Wednesday, and so you can register at foothillfamily.com. They are so thankful that they're able to go up to Big Bear Lake this year. We weren't able to do it for the last two years. So thank the Lord. It's, uh, it's going to be normal. Hallelujah. And so be sure, be sure to um, register that. Um, uh, uh, the men's ministry is going to be meeting tomorrow night. They meet the third Sunday or the third Monday of each month, and they meet here. Okay, so you got what is your time? You start at seven, but you start hanging out at six thirty. Is that correct? Okay, it starts at seven, but they start hang. That's just like from youth ministry. That just this hangout thing you guys do. Women don't do that. We just have a start time, and we're on time. What? <laughs> I love Chip. You know, you give a hard time to people that you love. And then, um, and then also, ladies, we have a ladies' Bible study this Tuesday night at 7, at 7 o'clock. We start and hang out at the same time. And we're going to be uh, teaching from the book by Kenneth Hagin, Tongues, Beyond the Upper Room. It's a great comprehensive uh, 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 book on the subject, and so whether that is something that's new to you and you want to find out more about it, or maybe you have been filled with the Holy Spirit for a period of time, it covers things that, um, that you will learn, I promise you. So we're, we're looking forward to that on Tuesday night. Then Thursday morning, we have our um, moms uh, our young moms uh, group here at the church, 930. Um, we're, we're in touch with pretty much all the moms. We're, we're all together on a texting thing. But in case um, you're not on that and you would like to participate or you have a friend you would like to bring, we would love for them to come. Just let us know through the church office um, that you're going to be needing free babysitting. And we started last month, we started um, the book by Denise Renner. Um, she gave me that book a few years ago when we were, we've been on a couple of pastor's trips with them overseas, Rick and Denise Renner. Um, and so she shared that book with me. I didn't even know she had it. And uh, it's called um, Who Stole Cinderella? It's on marriage. So much wisdom in that book, and so we've been doing that with our with our young with our young moms. Then the last thing is that um, in a couple Sundays, July thirty one is side dish Sunday, and so we're going to have a picnic in the air conditioning, and we ask everybody to either bring a side dish or a dessert to that. We'll have a great time of fellowship after church that day. Amen. We're going to give you an opportunity to give, and um, so our ushers are in the aisles. You should be able to find offering envelopes in front of you if you're giving by cash or check, or you can give by credit card on there as well. If you don't have an envelope there, then just lift up your hands, and these gentlemen will serve you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The Philippian church, they, was a, they were a giving church, and that's why the Apostle Paul was able to say those words to them. And so uh, we are givers, and uh, we are a giving church, and so thank God his word says that he supplies all of our needs. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we worship you today as we give. We do it to honor you. We do it to honor our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you. 
all that we have is yours. Our lives are yours. Our time is yours. Our finances are yours. And this that we give, we do as a, represent, as a representation of our honoring you first in our life, of putting you first in our life. Because our money doesn't have us, you have us. And we trust in you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We speak over our church family. Divine protection, which you have done. Divine provision and divine peace. Hallelujah. Great peace have they that love thy law. We love your word. We are doers of your word. And we thank you, Lord, that in these days we can hold steady. Because our lives are founded on the rock of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here today that ministers to each heart and life. In Jesus' name, amen. After you've been given the opportunity to give, would you stand and worship with us one more time?
we bless your name. We exalt the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the presence of your Holy Spirit this morning. We thank you for utterance and direction in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Hebrews chapter 11. The author of the book of Hebrews was directed by the Holy Spirit to share things that the Jews needed to know. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, Paul begins what we know of as uh, the Hall of Fame of Faith. And notice what he starts with. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. First thing he talks about when he identifies these men and women of faith throughout the chapter, first thing he identifies is that our faith should be in the creation of the earth by God. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. That word framed means to to mold together like clay so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, if the creation account is important to the faith of every Christian or the basis and foundation for every Christian's faith, then we should keep these things before our eyes and not let them go, let them slip. So in Genesis chapter 1, the beginning, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now we've said this before, but we, I, I can't hardly read this scripture without saying it again. In verse 2, where it says, and the earth was without form and void, this word was is literally the word McCain. And the earth became without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. In Isaiah chapter 50, 45, Isaiah 45 verse 18, God said, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He has established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, there is none else. God says he did not create the earth without form and void. He did not create it vain or empty. He created it to be inhabited. And notice how God declares himself at the end of the verse, I am the Lord and there is none else. He's simply saying that there's nobody else that could or would have created the earth. He's the one that did it, only him. He is the Lord. Now back to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. Something caused this earth to be without form and void. It became without form and void. But that's not the way that God created it. Now there's things that we could consider that brought the earth to this condition of without form and void. 
One thing we know is that there was a, a, a war in heaven and that Lucifer took a third of the angels with him in rebellion against God and God cast him down to the earth. There are some other scriptures in Isaiah uh, 55, I believe it is, where it talks about how that Satan brought the earth to destruction. Well, those things could be the same story, the same information, but the end result says, tells us that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. First thing God creates when he speaks light upon the earth, he separates the night from the day, and he creates time. Now, folks, there are some things about this creation account that we don't normally take the time to focus on, but I think it would do us well and serve us well if we considered everything that the Scripture is telling us here. For example, the Bible says that in the beginning there were two places, two locations, heaven and earth, that were created. Now we know from the, just the few words that we've read about the earth, the earth was covered with water. It had been destroyed with water, apparently. So God didn't have to create water. There was something that held the water here on the earth. I don't know if it, if it was gravity like we know of now. But one of the things that I want to impress upon you through this is that there were two locations, heaven, the dwelling place of God, and earth, which God intended for it to be inhabited by mankind. That makes the earth the center of the universe. There's a lot of discussion between scientists and Christians and such about is there life on other planets? And everybody seems to have an opinion about that. One of the things that would be um, worth considering is since the universe is so vast and we know from scientific discovery that the universe is still expanding to look at pictures from the Hubble Space uh, Telescope and there's another one now that's been up just for several months the James Webb Telescope these pictures that are relayed back to us that these telescopes in the sky identify and, and show forth, they're such light and clarity and beauty to the universe, to outer space, things that are, that are beyond just what we have telescopes to reach out to see. It's amazing how that God established beauty and such beauty is beyond anything I've ever seen in any other way. But God created that for the earth. 
God didn't create the, the earth as a part of the universe. God created the earth, and then he created the universe. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Now what the Bible refers to that God called heaven includes the atmosphere of the earth and then outer space as we know it. And what we know of from the earth's position or standpoint, what God called heaven, we call the sky. Now there are some things, and I, I want to keep emphasizing this, I want to keep hammering this home. The earth is the center of the universe. No matter the physical science, science that pertains to the universe and so forth, they'll tell you that the earth is not the center of the universe. It's not even the center of our own galaxy. But God says that he created it. And remember, he's the only one that can tell the story because he was the only one that was there. God's eyewitness account of creation is that the earth was the center of his concern, the center of his will, the center of his intent. Everything about what we know and see and, and gain through experimentation and different discovery mechanisms that they have concerning space and the universe. That was not God's intent. That's basically just window dressing provided for the sake of the earth. We'll see this as we keep going. Again, verse 9, God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Now the dry land didn't have to be created. It was here from probably previous generations or time periods of the earth before God created it for mankind. And God said, verse 11, let the earth bring forth grass and the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after its kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the third day. Folks, God created these things. He spoke these things into existence. The dry land appeared. The grass appeared. It created trees. But notice what it says even about the grass and the trees. It says that it create, he created it after his own kind. That does away with the idea of evolution. Because evolution, the theory of evolution as I understand it, 
and I don't claim to have a great understanding of it. But as I understand evolution, it's the idea that some single cell, something, grew over periods of time, extended periods of time, and changed into something else. And those molecules or cells continued to change from one species to another. Now, there's no physical evidence or proof of that. It's just a theory that people have, some people have. There's no fossil ref, uh, reference or evidence to prove that it would be this way. And you would have to consider and admit that if evolution was the way that the earth had been created, then there would be hundreds and hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of fossils that were left from one species as it changed into another. But there is no fossil record, there is no single fossil discovery that identifies a mixture of species. So this was the evening and the morning that was the third day. Again, God hasn't created the sun yet. So the grass and the trees have no reference whatsoever to photosynthesis. There is nothing that would cause the grass or the trees to grow as we understand it. There's no sunlight. The Bible tells us that in the beginning when God created the earth, there was a mist that went up from the ground. It hadn't rained yet. Apparently it didn't rain until Noah and the, the flood that came upon the earth. And God was real specific when he talked to Noah about what he would do and how things would go. He put a rainbow in the clouds to prove or to be a sign of his commitment never to destroy the earth by water. That seems to be important to him and carry much more importance to God than it would to Noah or anybody else because they've never experienced outside of Noah's flood mankind has never experienced any destruction by water. So mankind wasn't a part of or uh, um, a participant in the verse 2 situation where the earth became without form and void and waters covered the face of the deep. Now God didn't promise that he wouldn't destroy the earth again. He just said that he wouldn't do it by water. We know that the end of time is coming and that end of time will conclude in God bringing fire upon the earth. And God said, verse 14, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. Here's the sun and the moon. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day 
and the lesser night to, light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Now at some point, God creates the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. And he incorporates the properties of those heavenly beings, particularly the sun and the moon, to include or to affect the earth. We don't know anything about the rotation of the earth. We don't, the, the science tells us that the earth is traveling at about 1,000 miles an hour. It's rotating at about 1,000 miles an hour and is affected by the, earth's by the sun's gravity. It's affected in ways like the high and low tides with the, the moon specifically. It's warmed by the, the light of the sun, the heat that comes thereof. So God incorporates these things some way or at some point in time. It would seem to me that he would do it here on this, the fourth day as he creates the stars in the sky. And it tells us that the stars in, uh, that we can see in the sky, which we know of as astrology, is for signs, for seasons, for days, and for years. So he's got to be talking about the constellations. When he created the sun and the moon, and put these lights in the sky, the signs and the purposes for the earth, the signs and the seasons and for days and years, that has to be referencing the constellations. Let's keep going. Verse 20, And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moves, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Notice how God keeps talking, speaking about creating fish, whales, birds, grass, trees, everything after his kind. That means that God is identifying and claiming to be the creator of every species of bird, every species of whale, every species of fish, every species of grass, every species of tree. Every living thing is created and sustained by the word of God. Now we're getting to God's important climax. Verse 22, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea, and let the fowl multiply in the earth, and the earth evening and the morning were the fifth day. Verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind, 
and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after its kind. It didn't evolve. It didn't come about through some millions and millions of years to where one species became another. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, here's the end result. Here's the, the intended result of God's creation ex experience. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And God saw that everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now back to verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. I'm going to read to you from Psalm 8. It's the Psalm of David. It starts off in verse 1, O Lord our God, O Lord our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Verse 2 says, Out of the mouth of babes thou hast ordained strength. Folks, what comes out of your mouth? Words. Words just like God used when he created the earth. In Genesis chapter 1, it tells us 10 specific times where God said. And when the thing that he said came to pass, he saw that it was very good. So when God says, let us make man in our own image and let them have dominion over the works of our hands, God's talking about the mouth of man being that which prevails to create and to have dominion. It's the means and the only means whereby we exercise our authority on the earth. Now we have authority because God gave it to us. Now the Bible says God never changes. So if in the beginning it was God's purpose or intent for man to have dominion on the earth, it's forever his intent and purpose for man to have a uh, dominion over the earth. The reason that the, the um, creation account is given to us with the detail that it is, is to show us that since we were made in the image of God, we are to exercise authority and dominion here on the earth in the same way that God exercised authority in the earth 
when he created it through his words. So back to Psalm 8, verse 2, Out of the mouths of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy in the avenger. It's telling us that even the smallest, the weakest one of mankind has authority and that exercise of authority is simply through the words of his mouth. Verse 3, when I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers and the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou hast visited him? Now in Hebrews chapter 2 it tells us that the angels were the ones that said this. It was at the point of creation when there was no man left or man yet to appear when God said let us make man in our own image after our own likeness and let him have dominion over the face of the earth. The dominion that he gave to mankind when he was created was through the words of his mouth. Now the angels have seen various things we don't know exactly when before the earth was created that God created the angels. But apparently, well, conclusively, the angels were present when God created the earth as relayed in Genesis chapter 1. And the angels said, what is man that thou art mindful of him? They've never seen a man before. There's never been the creation of man up to that point. And so when the angels hear God's plan, let us make man in our own image, that means since God is a spirit being, man made in the image of God is a spirit being as well. Let us make man in our own image and let them have dominion over the face of the earth. Now the angels, assuming they've been around for a while, the angels would have seen what caused the earth to become without form and void. The angels were present and eyewitnesses to the fact that there was some other civilization, some other type of creation that ruled or dominated the earth. It could be, when we take some of the scriptures in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah chapter 14, when we take some of those scriptures into account, it could be that the, whatever life whatever civilization, whatever system was present on the earth and then destroyed by the water that covered all the, the dry land, it could be that that civilization or that time period was one where angels were in charge. We certainly know that Lucifer intended and brought the war to bear in, over in heaven when a third of the angels went with him, it's possible, based on the scriptures that are given us, that Satan had control over the earth or dominion over the earth, and he tried to exercise that to control or dominate heaven, and that was when he was defeated and cast out. Regardless, whether that was the case or not, we do know at one point in time, Satan had, a, had a, a, a throne here on the earth and he intended to expand his dominion 
even over heaven. So what the angels have never seen is identified when God speaks to the creation of man. What is man that thou art mindful of him? And thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. That word angel is the word Elohim, which means God. You have made him a little lower than yourself and have given him dominion, authority and dominion over the earth. What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. This is the word Elohim, which is spoken of concerning God. And has crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air and of the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. So the angels are flummoxed. When God says, let us make man in our own image and let him have dominion over the works of our hands. Whatever they've seen before, man wasn't a part of it. This concept that God identifies in his plan to create man in his image and let him have dominion over the earth, that's very far removed from anything that's happened before on the earth. And the angels, I'm not sure exactly why the angels are questioning God's plan perhaps it could be that the angels are looking at the situation where Lucifer had dominion on the earth at least to some degree and he wound up destroying the earth fighting against God maybe the angels are saying God why do you want to put anybody else in dominion or in charge of the earth we've seen what that results in we've seen how that goes But regardless, whether our speculation is even close or not, God had never revealed or exposed his plan before the time that he spoke man into existence. So the angels recognized that from the things that God said, man was to have authority here on the earth. Now I want you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16. It says, by him were all things created that are in heaven and they're in, in the earth. He's talking about Jesus. For by him were all things created. He is the word of God. So when God spoke these things into existence, it's Jesus carrying out God's plan and purpose. So Jesus is the creator of the the earth. He is the creator of mankind. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before or above all things, and by him all things consist. Now, the word consist means to, um, the word consist is the Bible telling us 
that things continue. God's plan continues to be held in the earth because he's the one that's exercising that creative force. Now, folks, the Bible tells us that when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, he began to grow, and it tells us the impact that the Word of God had upon him. You remember the story about when he was 12 years old, how his family went to one of the feasts in Jerusalem, which they were required to do, And they left Jerusalem, his mother and dad, assuming that Jesus was in the company that was traveling together to go back to their home. But they found out, after they'd gone for several days, they found out that Jesus wasn't with the group. Now, I hate to throw stones at anybody here, But that sounds a little bit like irresponsible parenting to me. Here's Jesus in the first Home Alone story. Reversed. In that he doesn't join with them to go back home. So they go back to Jerusalem. And it's been about three days now. And they found Jesus in the temple talking with the rabbis and maybe even the high priest but talking with the Sanhedrin and they were asking him questions that they couldn't answer themselves and he was sharing the truth with them and he was telling them things that they'd never heard so we see at age 12 the word of God has had a significant impact in his life and his growth We don't have any more information than that. We don't have any other examples in his life where he was operating in such a manner that wisdom beyond his years were identified to the high priests. So when Jesus is being schooled in the word when he learns the truth of the word and how man has authority he recognizes I don't know if we can call it memory as such but he recognizes from the gospel account or the Bible's account of creation he recognizes that he's the one that created those things Can you imagine the confidence, the assurance, and even the revelation of the truth of the Word of God? He knows from eyewitness experience that when God said for things to be created, He's the one that's carrying those out. Now, folks, the Bible says that the works that Jesus did, we will do also, and even greater works than these because he goes to the Father. In other words, there's a way for us 
to grow according to the will of God in the knowledge of the word so that just as Jesus was not in fear of sickness and disease, just as Jesus was not afraid or detoured by the physical laws of nature, we can grow in the same confidence and assurance of the truth of God's word and recognize that his word in our mouths is just as effective as his word in Jesus' mouth. I'll go back to the thing that I said before. The earth, the habitation of man, the home of mankind, was the center of the universe. It still is. Revelation tells us that there are times during that seven-year period where things happen. We hear a lot about climate change and all that kind of stuff. And the idea, I heard somebody, one of the main proponents of it, politician, saying that we've got 12 years left before climate change destroys the earth. Well, folks, I'm not sure we've got 12 years left. I'd be surprised to be here for another 12 years. But be that as it may, during the tribulation, the sun will be blackened. A third of the sun will be blackened. The Bible tells us that asteroids and meteors will hit the earth and bring great destruction. In one case, it destroys a third of the seas and a third of the ships that are in the sea. There are great cataclysmic climate events that take place during the seven years of tribulation that turn the earth upon its, uh, upon its head. Now that's certainly going to be climate change. But it's not the foolishness that people are preaching about now. I want you to see another scripture with me. It's in Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1, God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, now stop right there for a minute. Remember God said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our own image and after our own likeness and let him have dominion over the works of our hands. Let man have dominion. He's created in the image and likeness of God for the purpose of exercising dominion on the earth. Folks, God didn't create man because he was lonely. If God was lonely, he wouldn't be God. And so here Jesus is identified as being made in the image and likeness of God. 
In other words, Jesus had authority here on the earth and identified himself as the Son of Man rather than the Son of God in 95% of the times that one of those praises is used. Jesus, the express image of his person, he's made in the likeness and the image of God, just like you and I are. Jesus, made in the image of God, the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. There's a, 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 a definition of this word upholding It means to bear or to carry. It's a little bit blind to us, but it literally means that he is to continue. He's the one that causes things to work and keeps things in place, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. It means he's continuing his word continues to hold everything in place. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus made everything. Everything was made for him. And by the word of his power, not the power of his word, but the word of his power, he keeps things going according to the plan and the purpose of God. When Jesus said, and he said this in, in two different places, Jesus said to his disciples, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never fail. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never fail. Jesus knew who he was, who he had been with God the Father, and he knew that words were the source of everything that we see and hear on the earth. Everything that's been created was created by the words of God. We see sickness in the earth. Jesus knew that words spoken by those in authority particularly the words of God were greater than sickness and disease. One of the things that boggles my mind, and there are many of those things, but one of the things that I think is interesting is when the devil tempted him. Here Jesus, knowing full well he was the creator of Satan, and Satan knowing full well that he had been created by Jesus, tries to tempt Jesus into worshiping him instead of God the Father. He tempts him to use his own power as he was anointed by the Holy Ghost to exercise for the benefit of his flesh by turning the stone into bread. 
And he knows. A part of what Jesus' purpose was here on the earth. Jesus knows that the word of God is greater than any physical force of nature. He walked on the water because of the words of God. He multiplied the loaves and the fishes to feed 5,000 because he knew the word of his power. All of these things that Jesus overrode when he was here on the earth was simply because he understood the power of his words. Look with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. This is Isaiah 61 to us. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This scripture is this, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of the truth, Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, which great, when great famine was throughout all the land. But none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saying, Naaman the Syrian. And, they all, and all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him into the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. Now I'm going to skip over to Mark chapter five or Mark chapter six real quick and get Mark's account of this story in Luke chapter four. Mark six, verse one. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished saying, From whence has this man these things? And what wisdom is this that is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand? Folks, notice that. What wisdom is this that is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hand? They recognize that the works of Jesus that they have heard about in Capernaum, the works of healing and miracles and so forth, are a a direct result 
of the words that he spoke. What wisdom is this? What wisdom is this? They're talking about things that they heard. What wisdom is this? What work of God, in other words, would, could this be that is given to him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? They recognized that the works were not just a display of power. They were confirmations of the word that Jesus taught. Verse 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. Verse 5, And he could there do no mighty work. Notice the word is could, not would. It doesn't say and he wouldn't do any mighty work because he didn't like their attitude. He didn't like the way they looked at him. It says he could there. He was unable to do any mighty work there. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the cities, the villages, teaching. Go with me back to Luke chapter 4. When Jesus was cast out of his own city, where did he go? Verse 31, it says he came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on Sabbath days. Now, they've already heard, they, the people in Nazareth, have already heard of the works that he did in Capernaum. But when Jesus was rejected in Nazareth, he went back to Capernaum, the place that he's had success before, and he stays there for some period of time. He came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on, Sabbath, on the Sabbath days. Well, he's got to be there at least two Sabbaths for the word Sabbath to be used. Maybe he stayed longer. Jesus didn't often run away from places where he was having success. And they were astonished at his doctrine. For his word was with power. We all often use the phrase, the power of God's word. But we also need to recognize that the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uses the phrase, the word of his power. Not the power of his word, the word of his power. The Bible is trying to identify to us that the word of God, the spoken word, is the means of exercising authority in the earth. The word of his power. See, folks, if it was the power of his word, then it wouldn't matter whether anybody believed him or not. If it was the power of his word, then he could have done miracles and healings in Nazareth just like he did in Capernaum. But look at all the times in the Scripture told to us in the Gospels where Jesus would say to someone, according to your faith, be it done unto you. He'd ask other people, do you believe I can do this? He asked people questions. 
that would identify that they believed. Now, if there was a crowd of people that had come for healing, you wouldn't have to ask if somebody believed. If they didn't believe, they wouldn't have been there. But the phrase is the word of his power. The phrase that we need to keep in mind is the word of his power. See, if it was the power of his word, then there would be certain ones that were anointed and did miracles and healings and such, but nobody else could. But because all of mankind has been given authority here on the earth, it's the word of your power. Or we can say it this way. I like it better this way. His words of power. So they were astonished at, him, at his doctrine back in Nazareth, for his word was with power. He's got to be teaching authority. He's got to be teaching that man has authority. Because they're astonished at his doctrine. They're astonished at his teaching. They're not just astonished at the miracles, the healings, and the things that are happening, the miraculous things that are happening. They were astonished at his doctrine because his doctrine therefore had to be that man had authority and could overcome the work of the enemy. So they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? This word translated word is also the word doctrine. What a doctrine is this? For with authority and power he commanded the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out, went out into every place of the country round about. Folks, Jesus healed the sick. And performed miracles in evidence or proof of the fact that man had been given authority here on the earth. And Jesus isn't saying to anybody in any of these cases or situations, he's not saying, I can do this, but you can't. You remember when Jesus cursed the fig tree? came back the next morning and the disciples saw that it was withered and dried up from the roots. Jesus answers them, this is in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, he answers them saying, have faith in God. He's encouraging them to believe like he does and to speak like he does. And he goes on to say what the benefits of believing in God will be. For verily I say unto thee that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, 
and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now notice what the promise of faith in God is. You'll have what you say. Because you have been given authority on the earth. The devil doesn't dictate or determine what you have. And if he does try to dictate or determine what you have, he'll always do it by attacking your words. Your words are what count in your life. Your words determine what you will or will not have in life. And notice the difference between Nazareth when Jesus says in Luke 4.18 that he's there and, and anointed of God to bring about freedom for everybody in the city or the town, the village, whatever they call it. They refused to believe because they knew his parents. They didn't remember Jesus robbing a store or some silly thing like that. Now that would be understandable if Jesus had had some kind of natural upbringing. It would have been natural for the people to say, now wait a minute, here's this guy that's doing miracles or we've heard that he's done miracles in Capernaum. But we remember when he robbed the filling station how could God use somebody that had done that? If that had been his experience, then we would understand. But they thought that they knew enough about the Word of God that Jesus would be born, the Messiah would be born of a virgin. And they thought, because we know his father and his mother, that that disqualifies him. But the people in Capernaum didn't care about it one way or the other. The people in Capernaum, even though they were astonished, even though they were filled with wonder, they accepted the doctrine of authority that he preached. And they witnessed miracles of healing and so forth. And they marveled at his doctrine. What a doctrine this is. For his word was with power. What a doctrine is this. For with authority and power. He commands the unclean spirits and they come out. What are we to do with these things? Well, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It goes on in verse 35 of Hebrews 10. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which has a great recompense of reward. Folks, if the devil is increasing his activities in the earth, and if men are getting worse and worse, then that means the resistance to the word of God coming to pass is probably going to be greater 
than it ever has been before. The Bible says the devil knows that his time is short. And so he's increasing in his activities. Well, if he's increasing in his activities against the church, then what would we expect the result to be? I would expect it to be greater resistance to the truth of God's word coming to pass in our lives. Well, what do we do then? We hold fast the confession of our faith. We continue to do the things that we know strengthens us. So we don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We don't cast away our confidence, which has great recompense of reward. Folks, notice what the implication of that scripture. It implies that many people, or some people, will give up on the very thing that they've asked God for or believed God for, that if they had held on, the result would have come. Their faith would have produced results. So cast not away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward, for you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Two things to keep your eyes on in these last days. One is the, the increased attack of the enemy. But to understand how he works, so we fall not into these traps. So when the devil is hindering, or at least attempting to hinder, our faith from coming to pass, that's the time for us to double down. That's the time for us to, to speak the word boldly. To not let ourselves be tripped up or discouraged by the work of the devil. The second thing you need to keep your eyes on in these last days is that the Bible says that Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. A glorious church is a church full of power and full of the word of God. Some people are going to be dissuaded, dissuaded. Some people are going to be discouraged and miss out on what God has for them in these last days because of what might be called a faith failure. And you know as well as I do that the devil will beat on your head, scream in your ear. That if your faith was going to work, it would have worked by now. So you might as well just give up on the whole thing. But if we're not ignorant of his devices, then we know no matter what the resistance, no matter what the time period is, no matter what the circumstances are, God's word will never fail. God's word can't fail. Now, the people that let go of the word can fail on their, on their own, but God's word can never fail. We're living in exciting times. Paul called them perilous times, strength-reducing times. But whether or not our strength is reduced is up to us, not God. And I don't know about you, 
But I welcome the challenge. I say we defeat Satan at his worst. How do we do that? By simply speaking and holding fast to the truth of God's word. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much that your word never fails. And since we're standing on the word, we will never fail. Heaven and earth will pass away just as Jesus said. But the word of God will never fail. So Father, we thank you for watching over us. We thank you for keeping us safe. We thank you for, that your word is working in our bodies, affecting a healing and a cure in us from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. We thank you, Father, that we will never be left without provision, but that you always meet our needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we are strong in you and in the power of your might. We will not fear for you are with us. We will not be dismayed for you are our God. You strengthen us. You help us. You uphold us with the right hand of your righteousness. And in that righteousness we are established. Oppression is far from us for we do not fear and terror shall not come nigh us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper and we rebuke every tongue that rises against us in judgment this is our heritage as children of God and our righteousness is of you bless you father for your goodness and your mercy to us in Jesus name amen amen let's all stand and say it with me the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Now say this, and his word endures forever. Amen. God bless you, folks. If the story isn't good, failures never find when the father's in the room. Failures never find when the father's in the room.
dark and all alone growing comfortable are you too scared to move and walk out of this tomb buried underneath the lies that you believed safe and sound stuck in the ground too lost to be found you're just a and it's time to leave come on and Don't